A son honors his father, and a slave his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me? Says the Lord Almighty. It is you priests who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? Um, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying the Lord's table is contemptible. When you offer blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice lame or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying, the Lord's temple, table is defiled, and its food is contemptible. And you say, what a burden, and you sniff at it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, lame, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord. Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable male in his flock and vows to give it, but then sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And now, you priests, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them, because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this warning, so that my covenant with Levi may continue, says the Lord Almighty. My covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and I gave them to him. This call for reverence, and he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and turned many from sin. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge, because he is a messenger of the Lord Almighty, and people seek instruction from his mouth. But you have turned, you have turned from the way, and by your teaching you have caused many to stumble. You have violated the covenant with Levi, says the Lord Almighty. So I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all the people, because you have not followed my ways, but have shown partiality in matters of law. Thank you, John. I can't say how good it is to be here at the end of uh, the half-term week. I'm really glad that each one of you has been able to join us today. A massive welcome to you. And do turn up Malachi again, page 960. It's our series that we're looking at as we think about God, the heart-turner, turning our hearts back to him. And uh, before we do that, we, we want to be our interaction, we want our interaction with God to be real, we want it to be authentic, and we want to be learning, listening to his voice this afternoon in a, in a, in a, in a one-to-one sort of encounter with the God of the Bible. So I'm just going to leave a, a, few, uh, a few seconds silence uh, for you to settle your minds in and to pray to God, and then I'm going to lead us in prayer. So let's pray together. Father God, thank you that you are the Lord who doesn't change. You're the one who loves us. You're the, the heart turner. And I pray 
that we would turn our hearts to you this afternoon and fix our minds on Jesus Christ, your son. Please help us do that by your spirit's work. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know what time of the week you're at your very best. When, when do you feel you're just sort of achieving, uh, sort of, you know, out of your skin? When, when is it that you get the most done? On average, I learned this week, it is 11 o'clock in the morning. There you are. You can see the graph just behind me. This is uh, good research, apparently. Uh, 11 o'clock in the morning, when we're most active, when we're most uh, alert, when we're most able to achieve. And uh, for most people, it's a Monday, which is the best day for them. Um, so I don't know if that's you. Uh, Monday, which is the most productive day. And then October is, is the most productive month. Apparently, we all come back from our summer holidays sort of full of energy, full of sort of vim, just bashing down the to-do list. So um, 11 o'clock, Monday the 14th of October. This, this autumn, you're going to be awesome. Okay, are you ready for that? Just six months to go until, or eight months or so to go until that moment where you're going to be at your very peak. I hope you're prepared. I hope the world's prepared. But the question is, who gets your best time? Who gets the very best of you? Who do you want to give your best time to? What, what, what is it that we give everything to, just our, our maximum? Maybe it's your work. Perhaps that's where you really excel. You really get things done. Maybe it's your sport. You're just like the whole week, you're getting ready to achieve your PB. Uh, as you power around your, your 5K, whatever it is. Perhaps you reserve your best for your teacher uh, or for your parents or for your family. That's where you really give it everything. Uh, perhaps it's your holiday where you really want to pull out the stops. You just sort of hold back a little bit at work so that when you get on holiday, you can really go crazy. What, what is it? What are, you say, what are you saving all that energy for? What do you want to give it to? What's your top priority? Who gets our best? And that's actually the question that Malachi is asking to this tiny group of people who've come back from, from Judah right at the end of the Old Testament. This is pretty much the last point of the Old Testament, then 400 years, and then Jesus is going to come. And, and this is God's people back in Judah from this forced exile uh, in Babylon. And, um, and they're bone-tired, and they're fed up, we saw last week. And, and since they came back about 100 years ago, Things have just been rubbish. And so God, God tells them, chapter 1, verse 2, he tells them, we saw last week, he loves them. He loves them. Although, to be honest, they can't see it. But God is the heart turner. That's what it says in chapter 3, verse 7. And, and he wants to put his unchanging character on display so that his people will return to him or turn back to him. And so that we too, he's, he's the same, Malachi says. And so he wants us to understand his character so that we will turn our hearts back to him in love and, and response and, and joyful service. But it was into that situation um, back in the 5th century BC that God gives Malachi a second message. It goes from chapter 1 verse 6 to chapter 2 verse 9. And it's about giving God our very best. That's the thing, giving God our very best. And here's the first point from chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. This is what Malachi is asking. Are we dishonoring God? It is time to plead for grace. 
if we're dishonoring God, it is time to plead for grace. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 6, down there on page 960. Um, A son honors his father and a slave his master. Okay, that's the principle that Malachi wants to put up at the top. Uh, No one who Malachi is speaking to will disagree with that. That's just the way things are. Honor where honor's due. Um, Only it seems not. Um, Have a look at verse 6. God speaking. If I'm a father, where is the honor due to me? If I'm a master, where's the respect due to me, says the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts. It's like... um, like Justin, a few years back, talking to Dawn, um, uh, when he was quite little, our son Justin, uh, was talking to Dawn, and he said to her, Mum, you're in front of the TV. And, and Dawn said to him, um, well, Chaz, what is, what is exactly the word that we use in this situation? And Justin said, move. <laughs> they, there's a sort of breakdown of respect in that, in, in that situation. That's the point. Where's the honor due to your parents? Where's the honor? Israel are God's son. They've been told that in the Old Testament. They're God's servant. But you wouldn't know it, would you? Um, why not? That's the last bit of verse 6. It is you, priests. Can you see that down in verse 6? It is you, priests, who show contempt for my name. That's strong, isn't it? But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? By offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? Do you notice that? It's interesting to link that. There's that intimate connection between how they treat God's table and how they treat him. Verse 7, by offering defiled food on my altar. But you ask, how have we defiled you? By saying that the Lord's table is contemptible when you offer blind animals for sacrifice is that not wrong and perhaps you've seen um around the St Mark's building we're not the only church that meets in here perhaps you've seen um some bits of sort of bric-a-brac secondhand books and things they're just at the back um secondhand um clothes just over um over in that corner and um, that's because the other church that meets here on a morning uh, on a on a Sunday morning has a Saturday shop and they, and they sell lots of things, sort of bric-a-brac, um, jumble, second-hand items. And what happens is that people leave things on the front steps um, that, that's no longer useful or no longer in fashion um, because it works for them to get rid of it. So I, I've, got some, I've got some things here. Um, a little, I know, I, this, I feel like I'm on the antiques roadshow now. It's a little um, a glass jar, three pounds, um, a rock with an eye stuck on the front. Only 50p for that. Um, we've got a, a little vase here, two pounds. Um, or a little brass jug with four feet. Okay, these are the kind of things that get left on the, on the front doorstep. And then they get sold at the Saturday shop on a, on a Saturday morning, uh, which is a sort of, um, sort of jumble sale. And here's the point. That the priests are offering animals that, that, that are good to get rid of. It sort of works for them. They're treating the temple as a waste disposal facility. This is sort of Saturday shop religion, you know? Stuff they don't really want anymore. They're sort of passing it off in the temple. That's not just wrong. It is deeply insulting. 
That's the point God's making. Halfway through verse 8, it says, Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. You know, I, I, I haven't met your boss, but I, I'm going to wager that if I invited them round and the kitchen was a mess and you were wearing a, a sort of coffee-stained T-shirt and you offered them some cold chips and a half-empty can of beer, they would be insulted. And, and with good reason. How about the sovereign Lord of the universe, the God of armies? What about him? Now, they've defiled him. That's a strong word, isn't it? They've defiled God, verse 7, by offering him the fag end of their lives, the leftovers. I mean, I'm sure, I, I don't know what happens to you when you're challenged. Um, a lot of us resort to self-justification, and I'm sure that was some of that going on. That's my sort of default position. Hey, at least I'm still bringing sacrifices, God. I'm still there. I'm still there in the temple. Other people don't go to the temple, but I'm right there. And um, there's a lot of blindness around in sheep. Did you not know that? I mean, it's just it's 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 what happens to sheep from time to time, and it's the it's the thought that counts, isn't it? What are they actually to do? Chapter 1, verse 9. What does God want from them? Plead with God for mercy. Plead with God for mercy. Verse 9. Now plead with God to be gracious to us. It's an honest to God apology. Now, do you remember the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Do you remember that? You can read it later on in Luke 18. Just Jesus speaking, what, 500 years after this was written? Uh, in the same part of the world, two people go into the temple, and one's a kind of priest, and he talks about everything he is and everything that he's done. He's kind of chuffed with himself. And the other, it says, stands at a distance, and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he just beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is the response that God's looking for. That is what it means to turn to God, plead with God for grace. But because we, we don't always give God our best. Uh, some of you remember Adam Pimble. Do you remember uh, Adam? He was here a, a few years ago. He's now gone to, uh, to Crouch End. And he said that when he was in a previous church, when he was a curate a long, a long time ago, he asked someone from their church whether they were going to come along on a Sunday. Um, I don't think I will, the person said, uh, because it's my birthday. <laughs> You know, the worrying thing is that in my worst moments, I've got some sympathy with that. You know, it's a sort of, we, we think to ourselves, well, it's a special day for me. Um, why spend it at church? Do you, do you get that? I get that. Don't give the Lord Almighty less than he deserves of your life, says Malachi. That sort of Saturday shot religion, giving God the cast-offs, the hand-me-downs of your life. We're to give him the, the best of our time, best of our attention, the best of our energy, the best of ourselves in our quiet times, in our diary planning, in our holidays, in our, in our day-to-day. You know, when are you at your best? Give that to God. That's what Malachi is saying. Cry out for grace. We've all got this wrong. Cry out for grace and honor the Lord Almighty. He has loved you. Return to him. And fear him. That's the second section. It goes from verses 10 to 19. Rightly fear God, respect him. Live in, in right awe of him for his power and his majesty and his goodness. 
and his mercy. Are we displeasing God? This is the second point. Are we displeasing God? It is time to fear his name. Have a look at um, Malachi chapter 1, verse 10, right-hand column, um, just close to the top. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. This is strong, isn't it, from God? I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Uh, You know that campaign to keep churches open across the country? Uh, The National Churches Trust, I think it's called. Don't bother, says God. Don't bother. If the gospel isn't being taught, why not, why not close them? If it's, glud, if it's grudging religion and people giving a few hours of their spare time when they can afford it, it is better not to try. That's what God says. I guess what's happened to God's people in Judah is the sort of no consequence downgrade. Um, let, let me explain this sort of no consequence downgrade. Um, so once upon a time, God's people had come and they'd offer their very best at the temple. That was what they did, and, and, uh, um, uh, and, and people were prepared to sacrifice whatever they had. But then they just sort of noticed a lamb, verse 13, who was injured or lame or, or diseased, and they just wondered, what would actually happen if I took that to the temple? What would actually happen? Would, would, would it really be so bad? I know that Leviticus 22 says that I need to give the, you know, a, a, a perfect lamb, a lamb without, without defect. But in the end, who is actually going to say anything? Huh? Who is actually going to challenge me on that? And, and, and do you know what? When they do it, then no one's stressed. Nothing happens. There's no lightning that comes down from heaven. They don't die on the spot. Life goes on. And so in, in, in a sort of day-to-day where lots of other people are demanding things, then cutting corners in the sacrifice solves a few problems. You know? It frees up a bit. Of, it, it just sort of just helps. It's a no-consequence downgrade. That's what's happened. Well, the danger is that God might seem small. At, at this point in history, um, Judah doesn't seem like a... Uh, a big place, it's what, three times the size of London, I think we said. And, and God, in Malachi's day, could be conveniently sidelined, it would seem, until you read verses 11, 11 and 14. Verses 11 and 14, verse 11. My name will be great among the nations, from where the sun rises to where it sets. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to me, because my name will be great among the nations, says, says the Lord Almighty. Really? Well, yes. That's what it says in verse 14, right at the end. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. My name is to be feared, says God. You might not notice much now, but you will soon. I've warned you. And one day, the Bible says... Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus Christ. You'll see the quote from Philippians 2 on the screen. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God's name is to be feared. 
And, and, and this is the point. You know, he doesn't need our devotion now. He doesn't need our devotion. It's not that he has to put up with it if we offer him the dregs of our lives. He is a great king, and one day every knee will bow before him. And, and we've already seen that starting all over the world. Do you know how many people on, on estimate became Christians last year? All over the world, 65 million people became Christians last year. Is that not extraordinary? Can you see this is, is beginning to happen now? And one day it will happen definitively. Every knee will bow before Jesus Christ. And so it's at our peril that we downgrade him now. It's at our peril. You know, if we give in to the pressure of the urgent, you know, the tyranny of the urgent, it just screams for our attention all the time. I know exactly what it's like. My to-do list will... It's never finished, you know, and urgent things just come at me the whole time. But if we give in to the tyranny of the urgent, if we forget what's important, there's a danger that we will miss out on that last day. We can't say that God hasn't warned us. What are we to do then? Well, third point, return to the covenant. Return to the covenant. That's our third point. Are we being rebuked by God? It's time to come back to the covenant. And Malachi turns around, chapter 2, verse 1, and, and starts addressing the priests very directly. And now, you priests, this, is, this warning is for you. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve to honor my name, says the Lord Almighty, I will send a curse on you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will smear on your faces the dung from your festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. You know, God sometimes rebukes us. It's actually a sign of his love for us. It says in the book of Hebrews, it's a picture of his care for us, like a dad who, who tells us off sometimes God will rebuke us from time to time in order to keep us safe. That's, that's out of his love. He rebukes us in order to bring us back close to him. Now, for the priests of Malachi's day, though, it, it, it seems like it was too late. One of their jobs was to bless. Do you know these beautiful verses in the book of Numbers? You'll see them up on the screen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord makes his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. That's, that's a beautiful blessing, isn't it? And God has given that blessing to Levi so that the priests will bless the people. God's turned it into a curse. And another one of their jobs was to present sacrifices. But verse 3, God's turning their sacrifices into animal poo on their faces. Who'd have thought that was in the Bible? Did you know that was in the Bible? That the Levites were supposed to stay ceremonially clean, but God is making them unclean. That's the depths of God's feeling. He's, they've broken his heart. They've broken his heart. And their third job was to teach the law. You know, they were to bless people, they were to present sacrifices, and they were to teach the law. But verse 8, can you see what they've done? Chapter 2, verse 8, they've made people stumble. Well, right at the end, they've, they've shown partiality in manners of the law. They're crooked, and they don't care. Just, the question is, does that mean that this covenant is lost? Has it gone? That this was the covenant God wanted to make with his people through the priests. It will continue, says God, chapter four, uh, chapter two, verse four. It will continue, but 
But only when a priest is found who, who reveres God, like Levi did, and stands in awe of his name. Or, or chapter 2, verse 6, who brings true instruction and never lies. Or someone who walks in peace and, and, and uprightness and turns many from sin, like Jesus did. Um, looking for purity, you found purity in Jesus. Even his brother said he never sinned. That's high price, isn't it? Verse 1, he honored his father as a son, and he came to earth as a servant, you see, son and servant, Jesus Christ. Are you looking for words that reveal who God is? You've heard them from Jesus. If you've seen me, you've, you've seen the Father, says Jesus. His words reveal who God is. There isn't a God in heaven who is unlike Jesus. He, he, he introduces us to the God of the universe. Are you looking for a great high priest? He is there in Hebrews chapter 10. And, and not only is he the great high priest, he, he presents himself as the sacrifice, as a perfect offering, absolutely pure, perfectly valuable, extremely precious. He sacrifices himself when he dies on the cross in our place for our sake. And, and he will return one day. He will return and every knee will bow before him. God's name is great. He is to be feared. So we're to come back to the covenant to trust in that death of Jesus Christ for us. It's simply pray, yes, Jesus Christ, I, please can your sacrifice for me be something that I trust in to take away all of my sins, to completely wash away my past and to put me right with you. That is all that it takes. We're to come back to the covenant and fear him by doing what? By sacrificing our lives and to give him the best of ourselves. And what's that going to mean? Well, 100 years ago, um, in 1924, there was a book published which has never been out of print. I don't know whether you've come across it. Uh, Dawn gave me a copy when we started going out. Um, it's a book by um, Oswald Chambers, and it's a series of devotions to God, and it's called My Utmost for His Highest. Have you ever, it's a very old book. It's written in old language. My Utmost for His Highest. My Utmost for His Highest. What is that going to look like for you and for me to give our utmost for God's highest glory? Well, let me say straight up, I don't think God is asking us to do to do more. It's not that God's asking the priests to do more. He's asking them to do what they do well. Do you see what I mean? Like God's people in the 5th century BC, we are so tired and many of us are very weary. This isn't saying do more. It's saying give the best of what you have. Yeah? The Father loves you. Jesus is your great high priest. He secured the covenant, so give of your best. And many of us are doing that, I know. Many of us are doing that. I see all kinds of ways at Trinity that people are giving up their best of their money and their resources and their time and their prayers and giving those things to God. But maybe, maybe for a few of us that's starting to slip, you know. I, I worry sometimes that I can really skimp on my sermon preparation and that no one will notice. I worry about that. It feels like a no-consequence downgrade. 
But God is a great king. He's utterly sovereign. He is a great name. And, and, and he wants us to return to him, to his grace through his covenant, and to give our utmost for his highest. Well, in, in, in the book of Malachi, we're going to go through the rest of Malachi over the next five weeks or so. It's going to help us apply that into all kinds of different areas where God just puts the finger on ways in which his people have, have, have been downgrading their response to him. And we're going to look at things like marriages and money and ambition and effort and the way we care for needy people who are amongst us. But each one of us has been given responsibility by God. You know what your gifts are. And you know what the opportunities are for you to use them. Each of us has been given responsibility by God. What are we going to do with that? And the answer is, call on God's grace, honor his name, and give him our best. Perhaps our, perhaps our prayer life has slipped a bit. And it's the week of prayer starting today. And John's going to tell us all about that. A week of prayer where it's a chance to come together and pray a little bit more often than, than we would normally. How, how do we feel about that? 7.45 in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I'll tell you that for free. Call on God's grace, honor his name, give him our best. You have the privilege of serving a sovereign God. Uh, one of my friends says, what, what, what grips our heart wags our tongue. You know, um, do we talk about that with each other or, or, or with, our, with our friends at work or, or school or college or um, uh, people that we meet during the day? Do our friends know that we feel privileged to serve a great king, a sovereign God, the true and living God of the universe? God is the Lord, he doesn't change. It says in Malachi, he loves us and he longs for us to return to his covenant of grace through Jesus, the great high priest. So as Paul says in, in Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a great king. Thank you that you are the Lord Almighty. Thank you that one day every knee will bow before Jesus Christ, your son, that he reveals you, uh, that he shows us who you are, uh, and that he presents a perfect sacrifice of himself, completely sufficient uh, for each and every one of us. Whatever our past, we can bring it to you and know that we're forgiven. And so I pray that we would be those people who offer ourselves as living sacrifices, the best of ourselves in the week and the months to come, so that we rightly honor you, rightly fear you, uh, as the God who's loved us and brought us into covenant with him. I pray we give you our best. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.